Today we look at one of the most challenging chapters in all of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about the end of the world. The reason that this is challenging in trying to look for certain clues in, in the text, which may or may not be there, we risk missing truths that just might impact our eternity. The questions which we really should be asking, are we ready for Jesus? Are we ready for eternity? In Matthew chapter 24, there are two events foretold, the destruction of Jerusalem and the return of Jesus. The fall of Jerusalem foreshadows the return of Christ. The immediate context in this story is the coming fall of Jerusalem. However, we we have to be, we must be concerned about what is on the horizon. Matthew chapter 24 begins, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. The Son of God has left the house of God. When last we were in Matthew at the very end of chapter 23, right before Jesus steps out of the temple, he says in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Behold, your house is being left you desolate. What did Jesus say just a couple of days earlier in chapter 21 of Matthew, when he arrived in the temple on Palm Sunday? There was lots of commotion going on there in the temple with the, the money changers and, and, and all of that. And, and Jesus comes in and says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house. But now, Jesus says, Your house is being left to you desolate. It's not my house anymore. Jesus says, I'm leaving my house. How does chapter 24 start? Jesus came out from the temple and was going away. Frightening implications, are they not? What does it look like when the Lord departs? The disciples come up to Jesus and they point out the temple buildings to him. We don't know why they're pointing. Maybe they're marveling at the awesome magnificence of all of its finery. Maybe it's the shock of Jesus' words that he said to the scribes and Pharisees. But Jesus quickly responds to the disciples, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. This is a major turning point in Jesus' final week before the crucifixion. This statement of the temple we will hear again but reworded as an accusation used in just a couple of chapters during Jesus' mock trial. These words will be interpreted as threats of an insurrectionist. Basically, Jesus will be accused of making a, a terrorist threat, destroying the temple. 
You see, in about 35 to 40 years following Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, there will be coming an event of judgment. Jesus points to what is going to happen in the year 70. We see that written often as A.D. 70. But in the year 70, the ancient historian Josephus records that the Romans, they will lay siege to Jerusalem and the temple, and, and that the fires that are, that are set, they'll burn. They're still burning a month later. And, and the magnificent temple that Herod built is completely destroyed as these fires rage inside and outside. And these fires are so hot that the gold fittings and the gold gilding inside and on the outside walls, they melt. And they run into the cracks between and in, in the stones. And during the pillaging, during the pillaging of the temple, these stones are broken up to get to the gold. Therefore, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that no stone would be left on another. The destruction is total, just as Jesus foretold. And we have to keep in mind that some of these stones at the temple were 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet, and each weighed nearly a quarter of a million pounds apiece. And they're stacked. There's a scene change. In verse 3, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples come to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? Big questions. And we ask those very same questions. In verse 4, Jesus answers the disciples and he says, See to it that no one misleads you. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples and he's trying to prepare us as well. Jesus says, For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. See to it that no one misleads you. Many impostors will come in my name. They will say, I am the Christ. They will mislead many. How are our friends and family misled in these days? One way is not reading the Bible. Rampant cases of biblical illiteracy, not reading the Bible. So with all of, all of these words of, of, of heavy and gloom and doom, how can one be hopeful? Well, Jesus says the following, using the image of a sheep pen, and this is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. In John 10, verse 2, Jesus says, He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. How do you know the shepherd's voice? You familiarize yourself with it. 
How do we know the shepherd's voice? We familiarize ourselves with how it sounds by what Jesus is saying through, through Scripture. The Lord has given us Scripture. That's how we're able to know the voice of God. That's one way we will not be able to be misled. Jesus says in verse 6, You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. We will hear of wars. We will hear about rumors of wars. The rumor mill. Fear-mongering media, be it social media or the standard sensationalization of, of, of TV. Anxiety and drama. Well, again, knowing the Bible, knowing what the Bible says can put one at ease. What does Jesus tell us there in, in verse 6? You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. Don't be frightened. These things must take place. But that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. Famines and earthquakes will occur. All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Well, Paul uses birth language later on. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 21 and following, Paul says that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. When sin entered the world, sin tainted every level of creation. And Paul's saying that creation itself will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of glory of the children of God. That's when we see the return of the Savior. Paul says, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the, the pains of childbirth together until now, awaiting the return of its Savior. So, in these words of gloom and doom, how can one be hopeful? Well, again, biblical literacy is a challenge. So many people pray for world peace, and, and that sounds so noble and so altruistic and, and so well-meaning and so sincere. However, that's never been the overall plan. And how are our friends and our family misled in these days? By not reading the Bible. J Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. We as believers must remember that we are not saved from trial. We are saved through trial. Jesus says in verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Disciples delivered to trial, delivered to tribulation, will be killed, and will be hated by all the nations. All the people will hate them because they are identified with Jesus. And aren't we seeing this now? We are maligned in the media. We are maligned the world over. 
at this time, we are told in these words of Jesus that many will fall away. A turning from the faith. We've heard Jesus talk of ones who talk about wanting to follow him, but are afraid of having to lay down their agendas, their plans, their lives. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross, and he must follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In verse 11, Jesus says that many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. This refers back to what we saw in verse 4 and 5. There will be imposters rising up, and these imposters will have followers. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. In verse 12, Jesus says that most people's love will grow cold. We, we see some of this now in our world, don't we? I think this is becoming our factory reset, our default setting. And I think one reason is that it's these false prophets. I think that false prophets, they hurt the church. They hurt the people of God, and, and they are part of the reason that there is a rise in cynicism, and there's a drop in community love and, and compassion. And then Jesus continues in verse 13 and 14. He says, But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What we have to remember even with persecution, the job of the body of Christ, the job of the church, is not finished. Before Jerusalem will fall, 40 years after this account, the gospel will have been carried into all parts of the then-known world. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 6, that in all the world, the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. And, and Paul carried it to areas uh, such as uh, you know, Rome and Greece and Asia. And we, as the church, are expected to continue the work. Once we're done, then the end will come. Jesus says that the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The one who hangs in there with his faith will be saved. The one who does not turn away from the faith will be saved. So how to be hopeful in, in this message of gloom and doom? We'll look at this last verse. Verse 14, which we just saw. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So, as we, the church, get after this, as, as we preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, when we continue that, get, get about it, get serious about it, and we're done, then the end will come. And, and this passage should fill one with hope. Again, this section of Scripture in Matthew 24, the immediate context... In, in the day in which it was written is the coming fall of Jerusalem. However, we have to be, we must be concerned with, with what is on the horizon. 
And so the question that, that I ask you at the beginning of our time today, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for what's on the horizon? This is how you know. We're all sinners. And Jesus, taking our sins to the cross, gave us his righteousness, the righteousness required for us to stand before a holy God. And we need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. The price, the wage of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We see that in Romans chapter 6. Jesus, by dying on the cross, paid the price of the wages of our sin. And then one of the greatest scriptures, one of the most quoted scriptures uh, that I use is Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God showed us his great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And if you and I can come to the place where we understand that as sinners that we deserve death, if we can understand that we need a Savior, and if we can step past our arrogance, our pride, to, to trust in, in what Jesus has done, being the only one who could, who could die for us and be restored to life. If, if we can confess our sin and our need for salvation, our need for Jesus, if we can trust in that and we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus can pull all of this off, we can have a relationship of peace with God. We can have a home in heaven. But Jake, I'm not feeling secure. I'm not feeling secure in my salvation. Well, friends, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, Jesus has done the work. We confess our sin. But the one who does the saving is Jesus. Jesus has done the work, and we can't undo it. We can't undo what only the Savior can do. Listen to these words of assurance from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Let me read that one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is what we get. <laughs> to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Each must confess his or her own sin, but Jesus does the saving. And it's important that, that we not forget a couple of things. At the last supper of Jesus and his disciples prior to his arrest, we read in John chapter 16 these words of Jesus. Jesus says this in 16 verse 32 and following, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and, and to leave me, and to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. 
These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but in me you're going to have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Well then, in just a few verses, Jesus prays to the Father. In in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples. And, And not just his disciples sitting around that upper room, but every disciple which would follow. That that's us. But now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them, that's the disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Set set them aside. Set them aside. And then a very, very powerful, poignant scripture. Jesus says at the very end of verse 17, he's talking about the Father. He says, your word is truth. And you know, we can stand on it. Jesus continues there in verse 18 of John chapter 17. He says, as you, Father, sent me into the world... I also have sent them, the disciples, into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they themselves also may be sanctified, set aside, sanctified in truth. And then in verse 20 of John chapter 17, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these disciples alone but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus could have said it this way. I do not ask on behalf of these disciples alone who were sitting around me in this room, but I'm asking also on behalf of those who will believe in me through the words of these disciples. That's Every disciple, every follower of Christ in these these last 2,000 years, Jesus says this in verse 21, that he prays that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, the disciples, may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And what did we just see in in, in verse 14 of, of Matthew chapter 24? That the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. For those also, those disciples also, who believe in me through the words of these disciples. Doesn't that fill you with hope? Are you ready? Are you ready for what's on the horizon?